Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to the latest installment of the Yukon Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Thomas Fritch. We're going to talk Sorry. through the first quarter of the Yukon Huskies men's basketball season, and we have a really special guest joining us a little bit later on, uh, Corey Evans, a national analyst for Rivals, who will talk Yukon recruiting as well as how their season is going. So we've got a great, uh, great podcast in store for you. Um, but for now, Tom, let's let's talk about what we've seen from the Huskies through eight games, and it certainly has been uh, really interesting to say the least. The Huskies are six and two, so that's that sounds pretty good. Um, the way they got there, um, we can say ups and downs at best so far. Um, you know, what what are kind of the big big things you've seen so far from from UConn this season that, that stood out to you? Well, um, yeah, you're right. Six and two, but the way they got there is is a pretty. It's been a pretty interesting story. Um, you know, they started off the season four and zero. They had they were down what fourteen, or they were down quite a bit to Stony Brook. They had to come back, and uh, they ended up winning by eight. Um, so we were looking good, and then we beat Oregon, and and that was a nice little uh, payback from last year, and that was a pretty good um, game from start to finish. And then you go to the Michigan State game, and it was an awesome first half to be only down by one by uh, to a great team at Michigan State. And then just the doors blew open, and they Cassius Winston went off, and yeah. he ends up they end up beating us by twenty. And then um, four and one heading into the Arkansas game. In my head, I'm hoping that you know there's a good chance that this UConn team can get out of the Phil Knight Invitational uh, two and one. Uh, I had high hopes for that, and then that Arkansas game happened, and just it was just a pathetic, horrible, horrible game to watch. Um, and then since then, they've gone into overtime and back-to-back games against Columbia and Monmouth. So um, it's been a wild ride so far. But um, the good thing, like we said, they're six and two. They're, it's definitely a different team than last year. Uh, definitely a better team than last year at this point. I think we were in four and four last season. Um, so they're going to overtime against these mid-major teams, but they're also coming out victorious and they're getting these wins. And that's going to help down the line. I mean, they're still don't have a bad loss mm-hmm. on their record right now. When, when the turn, when the committee is looking at this, they're not going to look at that, that they lost by 35 points to Arkansas, they're just going to see a loss to Arkansas, Michigan State, and wins against Columbia and Monmouth. Um, so yeah, uh, at face value, six and two is good. There are some problems uh, that are still going on, but uh, mm-hmm. right now, I'll take the wins given what happened last year. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Love to take those wins, um, and you know, I think Stony Brook. It's easy to kind of get over that was you know pretty tight, pretty late, but. UConn still ended up winning comfortably. Um, you know, my issue is that we haven't really seen them play very well since that since that second half against Michigan, right? So mm-hmm. they they didn't have a good second half against Michigan. They obviously got their their blow, doors blown off of them by by Arkansas, and then you know Columbia Monmouth. Columbia was was leading most of the way, right? I think UConn didn't take a lead until 
yeah uh, you know very late in regulation since since it was two nothing so Columbia that's, was a team that's that was up on 14. yeah i think Colombia was a yeah. team that was up 14 against yukon and then and then monmouth you know very similarly was yukon kind of played a good first 10 minutes of that game or so and maybe kind of the first few minutes of the second half but um you know i think what's important is these you know these aren't even like sneaky good mid-major type teams you know columbia was one and four going into that game with yukon and uh and monmouth was not very good either and and since then columbia has lost to albany on the road um you know monmouth has a has an 11 point loss to unc Asheville. uh they lost to penn in in four overtimes which is kind of a crazy sounding game but um, you know, so these aren't these aren't even like oh, maybe you haven't heard of the you know like maybe it's a mid major but they're kind of good. These are low these are low major teams right now this year, um, and and UConn has not looked good against them. So I'm you know I'm pretty concerned heading into this this matchup with Syracuse, not because I think Syracuse is some is some you know monster, um, but I, you know, I, I'm just really, I, I want to give the benefit of the doubt of, you know, this is, this is eight new guys on the roster, um, three guys coming back up, back from an injury, um, you know, Jalen Adams even kind of in a, in a new in kind type of role. But, um, you know, just the things, the things that we've seen, you know, I think they're pretty consistent themes, unfortunately. So um, the offense disappearing. For really long stretches at a time, yeah. bad bad shot selection, and then new to 2017, um, uh, the defense. The defense has been um, really porous. So I think you know what are what are your thoughts on the the struggles that they've had, and and if we think there's a fix coming up. Yeah, I mean the the big shock is really really the defense but first like let's start with the offense it's it's funny because i feel like kevin ollie's been running the same offense um the last for for the his entire duration here and that i'm finally hearing commentators finally talking about how it's not necessarily effective i mean um listening to the broadcast on SNY and you hear tim walsh talking about how all they're doing is iso sets and it's just one-on-one basketball a lot of the time and um yeah that's not it's not uh, creating any good shots. Um, I know there was a few times against Columbia where they were just passing along the perimeter and they weren't getting any good shots, but it would hit them. I mean, Christian Vital took a couple of threes at the end of a shot clock that just happened to go in. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really any good set they ran. Um, so, yeah, the offense has been a problem. Um, but, I mean, it, it's good to see that UConn still – I mean, they're scoring point. They're scoring more than what I remember they did last year. Uh, so far, and uh, all their wins, they've scored over 70 points, which is uh, 70 or more points, which is, I guess, one silver lining. But, yeah, there's definitely improvements that need to be made on the offensive uh, side of the ball. But uh, even more so, defense. Uh, defense has just been lacking so far this year. Uh, we, we haven't seen what we're used to being – what we're used to seeing uh, the UConn defense. Um, and I know – I must. I think since the Michigan State game, there's been like one one player on the opponent side that just has been going completely off on us. 
Uh, you have Cassius Winston uh, from the Michigan State game, and he hit, um, I think it's something like he had 25 points. In Arkansas, was, I think it was uh, Barford, he had 24 points. Then Columbia, you had um, Kaisner. Yeah. And then Monmouth, you had the Seaborn guy yesterday. And those guys are all hitting like 25 plus points, and they're doing it pretty efficiently, too. They're, they're hitting at over 60%. So we need to um, we need to kind of get it together on the defensive side of the ball if we want this season to go anywhere. If we want to turn six and two to a better record, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, especially once we start playing in the American, uh, it's a tougher lead this year, and we're going to need to step it up on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I think on both sides, though the the you know if we want to try and put the positive spin on it, on both sides we have seen the flashes. You know, like when they pass it around and, and Jalen, you know, drives and is able to find Larrier in the mid, in the mid range. And then he drives a little and, you know, either creates something for himself or finds an open man. You know, we've seen a little bit of that offensively, but, and I don't know what it is. I'm not, you know, I can't, I don't have my finger on it, but they just seem to leave that and then start taking some of the most ill-advised shots yeah. that are, you know, the, the long twos, the contested threes, we're not even a good three point shooting team. So, you know, if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you're an opposing coach, especially if you're at, at a Monmouth or a Columbia or something like that, you say, Hey, give them, give them the three, let them miss a bunch of threes and we'll try and hit ours. But we can also get open shots defensively, and and that's something we've seen all season. Is mm-hmm. is um, you know even even BU Stony Brook Colgate they were they were able to get some really easy buckets. And um, but again, we've seen flashes. I think we've seen the defense really clamp down and lock it up and and be mm-hmm. you know disruptive. Um, you know that's that's I think the offense we can say you know maybe there are some schematic things they can be doing differently to to put people in better positions defensively. It feels like an effort thing because, um, you know, I feel like we've seen, we've seen it enough, um, that, that they can do well at it. And, you know, this fact that they kind of clamp down late in games, these games that they should be winning comfortably, mm-hmm. uh, they kind of clamp down to make a comeback, uh, so that they can win. It's just kind of frustrating, but I, I do think there is another point here that, really obviously needs to be made is that Alter Gilbert hasn't played in a while and um, he's a really good defender. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, he's a good creator. Uh, you know, he, he had, um, you know, a little bit of uh, some rust to shake off at the beginning of the season, but he was looking pretty good before, before going down with that injury. So mm-hmm. um, right now we, we don't know. Um, there are a lot of rumors floating around about um, everything from him playing against Syracuse to not playing the rest of the season. Um, so do you, do you think the team can – well, you know, what do you think about his injury prognosis? But I think – do you think the team can still make a run, be the type of team it needs to be if he's gone for an extended period of time? Yeah, I think um... – I mean, I'm 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 very hopeful that uh, Altariq is okay and that he'll be able to play this this year again. Um, it just seems like the shoulder is an issue that is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, and it's at the point now where it, 
with him, do you let him play through it if he, if he wants to play through it, or do you shut him down again for the season? So it, it seems like kind of a sticky situation. Um, but, yeah, he, he, he's been great this year. He would uh, be a huge, huge boon to this team in terms of uh, defensive pressure and creating on the offense. Um, if he is shut down for the season, if he can't play for uh, – a few weeks or or whatnot. I think I think Kevin Ollie did do a good job of preparing for that. Um, I mean, originally we had Makai Ashton-Lankford coming in this year, and once he decommitted, we were down to uh, Jalen Adams, Christian Vital, and Altari Gilbert, and then he went out and got Antoine Anderson. And Antoine Anderson has turned out to be a, a, a great player for, for us this year. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's the depth of the guard position right now to kind of handle if Altari Gilbert goes down for a few more games. Yeah, and so having Antoine Anderson, having that third guard so they can run out that that lineup now that we see with Jalen, uh, Christian, and Antoine, and Terry, and Mamadou, um, it's huge. It's yeah. huge. So I think, I think that's a, a good – Sign for this team if Altari Gilbert has to miss more games. Yeah, that is a good lineup, and and totally agree on on you know Antoine Anderson has to be one of the biggest surprises of this season so far. I think um, just about anyone would expect he'd be in kind of spot duty, veteran status, you know, low minutes off the bench, but he's been a really important player for the Huskies, averaging ten point two points per game. Um, really, really impressed by, by what we've gotten from him. And um, like you said, we might need more of it uh, if, if Gilbert turns out to be gone for an extended period of time. Um, additionally, if that is the case, uh, again, we're going to need to find, I think it's going to be moving Jalen or some, someone back to that, that pure one spot though. Cause then we don't have that kind of guy. And, I mean, I understand sh- sharing that load, but I feel like not having that guy, that quarterback of the offense, is is part of what's been um, keeping it from from operating at its at its full potential. But at the very least, we do know Jalen Adams can take over a game, right? And and that's something that can happen against any team. So far, he's averaging nineteen point four points per game. Mm-hmm. He has been the kind of linchpin to uh, the 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 comebacks against the low major teams that we've had to make, but you know he can absolutely he can get to the bucket and finish, um, in a really in a really um, consistent and incredible way. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who has had a little bit less, I think, of that uh, you know takeover mentality is Terry Larrier, and I think that's someone who may have to um, because he's a great scorer. Um, but I don't know. I've, 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 I've loved some of what we've seen from him so far, but I just feel like we could be getting a little bit more. And I feel like that's kind of the classic Yukon wing thing, right? Like, you, I don't know how much far back, like Rudy Gay, Jeremy Lamb, Stanley Robinson. So I was like, man, we see these guys do awesome things, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm feeling that with Larry or two that, that I just wanted to be doing a little bit more out there. Yeah. I mean, um, I think what I'm most surprised about with Larry is that he, he's actually been a better three-point shooter this year than 
I, I would have thought he would be. He's so far shooting almost 42% from three. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, we saw it in the very first game of the season with him uh, when Jalen Adams was out and he kind of stepped up and took that role and he came out, uh, had 27 points, shot 60 over 6% from the field. And, and he was just, it was looking like that he was going to be the best player on this team. Um, and he's been pretty steady this year. I mean, he's had 18, 18, 18 points a, a few times this year. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's just something there where, I mean, he's, he's turnover prone uh, when, when he starts dribbling. Because if Kevin Ollie wants to flash him to the middle of the zone, if he puts the ball on the ground, then he it, it's likely going to be a turnover. He's had a lot of high turnover games so far this season. And then he's not really passing the ball that much, too. So so once he gets to the middle of that zone, he's not really looking to feed anybody else or looking to see anybody on the perimeter or anybody down low. Um, so while he can score, there there's a lot of other things that he needs to do um, on the offensive side of the ball. And then defensively, I, I'm – it's it's kind of hard to say because I haven't really been watching him, but I feel like sometimes a lot of these guys who have been going off ha- have been his man. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I know Lucas Keisner. I think that him and Larry are, were matched up, but um, yeah, I think as as good as Larry has been this year, he's averaging 16 points and seven rebounds a game. He can definitely be better. He has he has the potential to be a much better player than what he's shown so far this year. Yeah, in the past past few games, he's been. He's been a little bit cold from the field, even though, yeah, I, I agree he's doing better from three um, mm-hmm. than maybe we had imagined. But, you know, the 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 shooting numbers on this team, by the way, overall, <laughs> I, I'm taking a look at them right now in the in the ranking, and it is brutal. I'm, I'm trying to, like, double-check if these are wrong, but I'm looking at basketball reference right now. So yeah. they have us as 3 303rd at field goal percentage, uh, 286th at two-pointers, and 297th in three-pointers. Oh, my God. Which is actually sickening. It's actually kind of impressive that they've scored as many points as they have. Yeah, that's true. Is that right, though? I mean, outside – like we'll take a look at Christian Vital outside of that um, Boston University game and the Columbia game. He's yeah, he, he, he's yeah. only made one three in the other six games that we played, and yeah. he's taken I think over thirty. So it's just it, it, it's it's a this team is not a good shooting team. I mean, like you've said, we've seen flashes where they have. Um, they have might have good shooting nights, but overall, especially the poor display. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, I think, and I think it really just comes down to being smarter with with the shots they take. It's it's been so frustrating to see, um, you know, so many of those. Yeah. Again, the the long twos, the 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 passing it around the perimeter, and then taking something terrible. It's. I don't think um, anything's more frustrating than seeing those long twos when they're dribbling up beyond the three point line, then take a one step inside the three point line. Yeah. And then shoot that long too. And um, kind of along those same lines, the only player on this team uh, that should probably be going one-on-one on anybody is probably Jalen Adams mm-hmm. and Al Tariq Gilbert too when he's on the court. But everyone, everyone's playing one-on-one basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not good. 
It is not good. Um, so we, we um, you know, we kind of know what to expect at least from, from like that core group. Yeah. Um, I think a big question mark going into this season was what was going to, what was going to happen down low, right? What, what were we going to get from this entirely new crew of big men? Uh, right. So Amita Brahma, Kenton Facey graduating, um, Enoch Durham transfer. And, you know, we're, we're looking at a group that is um, uh, Eric Cobb, junior college transfer, David Onuora, uh, grad transfer from Cornell, Mamadou Diara, who um, didn't play very much last year before shutting it down. So those are the guys kind of with experience who we were maybe thinking might be the leading contributors. And, and I think so far that's been the case, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Honora kind of with Cobb being out, Honora's kind of been the starter in all these games. Um, he's literally shown nothing on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so it's 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 unfortunate because when he's out there, you know that it's really going to be four on five because he he's just going to be the guy setting screens and he's not going to be run into the hoop or anything like that. Um, but. Cobb showed a lot of potential before he got hurt. Um, and he had a couple of good moments against Monmouth. He had a really nice outlet pass. And uh, that's one of the things that he has been touted for is his passing ability. Um, and and Diara, too, over these last couple of games, even against Arkansas, he's kind of stepped up to see why and, and showing us why he was um, a top 100 recruit. Um He's just tough, has that motor. He's always around the basket, just rebounding the ball uh, offensively and defensively um, and doing what he can, getting, doing like the little things and just kind of – it seems like he's the kind of player that can just kind of uh, be a spark off the bench and kind of get other players going when uh, they might be lethargic and not really playing uh, with, with much energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love what we've been seeing from DR lately. Um, and, and agree that we've seen some really nice stuff out of Cobb. Um, and then, you know, some of the freshmen have been really, really getting into the mix and doing well too. So we've seen some good stuff from Josh Carlton, uh, even Tyler Polly, Isaiah Whaley. Um, you know, those guys have something to give this year. Um, we are seeing, which is encouraging because we need it. Um, (laughs) so, uh, it it is a good group and I I do think, you know, hopefully we can, we can kind of put this, uh, these, these struggles from earlier from right now, uh, a little (laughs) bit in the, in the rear view mirror because the team has been a little injured, um, and hopefully, uh, get some, they got some rest and are healthy heading into this Tuesday night matchup against Syracuse. Uh, so the Huskies meeting the hated orange at uh, what is our second home, not theirs, Madison <laughs> Square Garden. UConn got the win last year in a real old school Big East rock fight. Uh, some <laughs> some really great heady play from Christian Vital. Uh, what was it? It was a foul call with the game tied, and then he hit those free throws. Right? Yeah, yeah. Those I think those were his only two points of the game too. Yeah. So it was yeah. nice. 
Uh, good for him. Vital's yeah. a New York guy, and we've got a bunch of New York guys on the roster. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe Terry Larrier and and Mamadou Diara are going to want to have particularly good games in front of the home their their home crowds. Mm-hmm. Antoine Anderson's from Rochester, uh, so I, which I know is a ways away, but um, yeah. So we got this matchup with Syracuse, um, where in terms of the injury report. Right. The only question mark right now really is um, uh, is Gilbert. And I think, I mean, Polly, Polly's fine, right? He had like a, he had like a bum shoulder or something, but he was, he's yeah. playing through that, right? Yeah. He's, I, yeah. I think he's playing through that. Um, I think, yeah. I think Gilbert's the only one. Okay, so yeah, we uh, we do not have any update on the status of Alteric Gilbert, and um, if I had to guess, I'm I'm not optimistic about um, about it. I, that's all. That's kind of I'll just leave it at that. Um, I'd love to feel better about it, yeah. but I don't, and uh, I definitely feel for him. I'm I'm sure that's got to be really frustrating, but. Um, We've got this matchup with Syracuse. I think it's uh, going to be a good test for both teams. Um, you know, Syracuse was uh, – they were undefeated until they were – yeah, they were 6-0 and with a, you know, with a decent win over Maryland heading into uh, a game against Kansas, which they lost by 16 on Saturday. So they took their first loss of the season. They um, – in classic Bayheim fashion, they're not even leaving the state of New York until later this month, until what's this, seven, eight, nine, ten, until game number ten when they visit Georgetown. That's gonna be their first time leaving the state of New York. Um so good for them. But yeah, I mean this the Syracuse team looks solid, but but they're not particularly scary. This is not the Syracuse this is not the UConn, your big brother's UConn team, and it's not your big brother's Syracuse team either. It looks correct. Like. Yeah, that's what it seems like, and um, they're they're having depth issues too. It looks like I, I know I don't know if they're still um, under the the penalties or suffering from the sanctions from uh, whatever they had, where they had scholarship limits, but right now they have about looks like eight guys who are averaging at least 14 minutes a game. And one of those guys just left the team. Uh, that would be Gino Thorpe, who was a grad transfer from uh, South Florida. He was averaging six points. And um, he was one He was one of their guards in their team. And right now they're down to only three guards on their roster that play minutes. And that would be Tyus Battle, who's their best player. He's averaging 20 points. Uh, Frank Howard is their point guard. He's averaging 15 points and six assists a game. And then they have a freshman, Howard Washington. Um, he was only averaging seven minutes a game. I think on 24-7 sports, they had him as 290 in the composite rankings, uh, a three-star. So um, I don't think they, they were expecting anything from him this year. Mm-hmm. And now he's kind of going to be forced into a bigger playing role as the season goes forward. And um, it would be nice for UConn to get – either battle or Howard in foul trouble early in the game um, and, and kind of put the onus on this freshman Washington to kind of uh, do something for Syracuse. Uh, 
I think right now uh, with Jalen Adams and Antoine Anderson and Christian Vital, I, th- I think we match up well with with their guards. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who wins the front court battle uh, in this game. Yeah, they've got some guys. So I, I agree. I think you know Tyus Battle. That's someone we got to watch out for. Like you said, we've seen we've seen some dudes have big games against UConn. So yeah, um, you know, and, and Battle's six six. He's one of those you know scoring you know, oversized shooting guards uh, who can really fill it up. So is that is that Terry Larrier who's going to defend him or Antoine Anderson? Uh, I don't really I know. Think it seems but. like after the, the Monmouth game that kind of Antoine Anderson is kind of taking on that role as the defensive stopper. Mm-hmm. I know he shut down Seaborn in the second half. So if we could get that kind of performance out of Anderson, if we can get him to be the defensive stopper, that will go a long way. And, Carrying some of our defensive issues. Yep, and then in the front court, they've got um, they've got seven foot two Pascal Chukwu, who's who's averaging a, just under six, six and six. Mm-hmm. That was a guy I think UConn was going after on on the recruiting trail. Same as Ty's battle was too. Yeah. Um, so that's that's always fun. So they've got they've got that. They've got Burama Sidibe. Um, and an O'Shea Brissett, who is a freshman, who's averaging 12 points and uh, just under 10 rebounds. So it seems like they've got a pretty good crew down there, and what we just have is, with all due respect to our guy, you know, we've got bodies. You know, we don't necessarily yeah. have a bunch of guys who can, who can score a lot. Um, you know, Anora can rebound. Cobb has, you know, Cobb and Carlton, I think, have some skill down there where they can maybe do something. Um, you know, Diara is more of a, of a kind of create your own, uh, you know, get it, get a rebound, put it back in kind of guy. But, um, you know, we're just going to have to be a top, play a tough, tough front court performance there and, and hope that we can rebound well against that group and, and D them up. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think huge for this Syracuse game is um, Mamadou Diara uh, staying out of foul trouble because if we just keep him in the game, he does really great things when he kind of gets in a rhythm and he, he impacts the floor on, on both offense and defense. So if we can keep him out of foul trouble, I think he could uh, be a, one of the X factors of this game for UConn. Nice, nice. So... Um, we'll shift gears a little bit and go very big picture. Um, this season has seen a uh, continuation or perhaps even a, uh, a rise in the um, anti-Kevin Ali factions of the fan base. So I think, you know, after last year, some people were 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 upset with the job that he's done, and then especially after all the turmoil, um, maybe had a little bit more of a reason to to believe that um, Kevin Ollie might not be the right man for the job. I I feel like that sentiment has gra- has grown louder and and larger this season, despite the six and two start. Um, 
and I just think it's a it's a bit of a complicated situation. So, um, you know, some kids left, and um, do we necessarily want to put the full blame on Kevin Ollie for a bunch of guys wanting to transfer? I'm not, I'm not sure, but um, you know, I do think he put he put a really passable roster together in one off season. And, and, you know, we're going to talk with Corey Evans about this later, but it looks like he's building he's, – the roster he's building is in pretty good shape. Um, you know, I think, I think there's good things to say about the guys coming in in 2018, including Sid Wilson and, um, you know, the, the younger guys on, on this team right now. So um, we'll start with this. Um, what do you think are the legitimate criticisms of Kevin Ollie? that you know we we should and and can totally bring to the forefront i think number one is probably um offense i mean after shabazz after those two years of shabazz the offense has just not been great um in ken palm rankings 2015 their offense is ranked 102 in 2016, their offense was ranked 59. And then in 2017, their offense plummeted down to 154. Um, so it's, it's, it's been – it hasn't been great uh, basketball to watch from an offensive perspective. Um, so I think that's one very valid criticism against Kevin Alley's uh, teams. Um, I think also the, the, the player turnover – is also very valid uh, concern and uh, complaint as well. Uh, and not just last year's transfers and decommits. I mean, we've seen um, Daniel Hamilton uh, as a sophomore decide to jump into the NBA before he was ready. And, and I mean, last year would have been Daniel Hamilton's junior season. And based off of what we saw out of him in sophomore year, I think I mean, he was headed for an All-American com- campaign. Um it's tough to hold Kevin Ali accountable for that. Uh, I mean, a kid, if a kid wants to jump to the NBA and, and you kind of let him know that he's not ready, there's opportunities for you here. If he, you give him that spiel and then he decides to go anyways, I think you try to do your best. I think what Kevin Ali can be held accountable for is um, not uh, recruiting the uh, decent enough replacements to kind of replace that talent level that's – kind of leaving um so so i think the the, the biggest complaints uh from me are probably player turnover and um offense mm-hmm. yeah i mean the offense is uh, it's it's pretty clear at this point that um there needs to be either a shift in mindset or some new blood come in and not i don't mean a new head coach um you know someone that can tighten up what's going on offensively. Um, you know, the kind of what we're hearing and what we're seeing is kind of, is that Ollie's running an offense or wants to run an offense that's maybe a bit too complex for, um, for use in the college game. And particularly when UConn's not really recruiting, um, at a at a Duke or UNC or Kansas kind of level, 
Um, and then there's not even, you know, if you want to talk about the NBA kind of like space and motion based offense, first of all, it's a smaller, smaller perimeter, right? That three point line is shorter. Mm -hmm. So there just is less space out there. And then when you don't have those three point shooters to keep it honest, then those lanes don't exist. So um, I, I, I totally agree that something has got to give offensively. Um, Ollie has said he doesn't want the team taking as many three pointers as they do. And the, you know, the, the um, percentage at which they're hitting those three pointers would, would agree with that, right? That they should be taking fewer and they aren't. So I don't know if, again, it's like hard to figure out, should we, should we talk about how the players are, you know, how many times can you tell a kid, let's not take a million threes. Um, But at the same time, there does need to be something structurally better so that the offense is performing at its capability. This team is way too talented to have a seven minute stretch in each half against Monmouth where they don't hit a field goal, Um, you know, and to have similar offensive struggles against Columbia, a a low Columbia team. So, um, I completely agree with you about the offense and that that needs to change. The, the, the point is anything can happen, you know, and, and um, I would not begrudge DeAndre Daniels or Daniel Hamilton for, um, you know, fe- feeling like they should leave when their stock is high and, and, um, and making that move. And if you're Daniel Hamilton, you know, that, that roster is a little bit crowded if Terry Larrier doesn't get hurt you know, in that third game of the season. So, um, you know, there's just a lot, a lot to think about on that end. Um, with the 2016 recruiting class, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to make excuses for, for KO, but it was almost like they recruited too well, right? Where there were all these guys who immediately wanted to be the man on this team. You know, I think Vance Jackson comes to mind immediately um, and he had kind of a solid role as a freshman. So, but you know, um, yeah, I know. Juwan Durham, Juwan Durham, you know, looks like that scenario or a situation just didn't really work out. Steve Enoch, unfortunately didn't work out. And then I think most damning, we, I think we've discussed this in the past, but most damning was that, you know, they left and then they ended up going to, uh, in the case of Durham and Enoch, Louisville and, and Notre Dame. Um, where normally when a, when a guy leaves, they don't really go to a high major program. They, they go mm-hmm. to Cal State Northridge, right? So, yeah. um, so it, just, it just felt like maybe he was just recruiting the best guys possible and not really putting a team together. And, and maybe he's done a little bit of a better job of that now. So I'm a little bit optimistic about it. Um, about him in that. But if we're, again, just to go back to some criticisms, I also think one of my, you know, after the offense, um, I think it's, it's, it's the substitution patterns. It's how are you not getting your best players on the court for as long as possible? And, and, um, you know, they're, I don't, I don't even like remember the scenarios in seasons past, but, this year, it's like you got Eric Cobb, who is looking like the best big man at times, sitting on the bench for a while. You had Mamadou Diarra sitting on the bench for long stretches. And, um, you know, part of that is foul trouble, but 
you know, part of it is also just just kind of like maddening, just mad scientist lineup switching. And you know, I get it if you're playing Coppin State, right? And you're hopefully yeah. winning by a lot of points. Yeah, I'll try out a bunch of different lineups and see what's going on. But in these scenarios where the games against against Stony Brook, Columbia, Monmouth were getting close, it's like you got to put your best guys in and 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 let it go. Or even, for example, the Oregon game, the end of that Oregon game, he goes real small, mm-hmm. right? I think he had four guards out there and Larrier at the five. You know, I think I think there's a there's a good argument to be made for using that that kind of lineup more often. Um, so I'm just you know I'm just not sure that he's getting the best out of the talent that he has at hand, and that's that's the part where it's it's a little disappointing. To mm-hmm. me. I think I think um, yeah, I can totally agree with you on the substitution patterns. I mean, we're, we're seeing now where Mamadou Diara looks to be quite possibly the best big that we have on this team right now. And it took until Columbia and Monmouth for us to see that. But in the beginning of the season, he was limited to seven minutes against Colgate, four minutes against Stony Brook, seven minutes against Boston University. He didn't even play. I don't think he even dressed against Oregon. Um, So it's just kind of like, I think we have seen this habit uh, from Kevin Ali of, kind of using almost the first half of the season to determine his lineup and, and figure things out. And even then we're still seeing, um, I forget what year it was, but I remember that I, he was using a different starting lineup in like February than what he'd been using mm-hmm. uh, all season long. So yeah, the substitution patterns are, are a little bit crazy sometimes. Um, I also think his in-game coaching um, is a little bit questionable too. Uh, namely, for me at least, uh, he, his refusal to use timeouts. Yeah. Um, especially, especially when, I mean, I think everyone in the building, when a team is on a run, can sense like what's building and something's happening. Like during that seven-minute drought where UConn, UConn was up twenty-nine to twenty against Monmouth, and then. Mm-hmm. They just let Monmouth back into the game. And um, I think Kevin Ollie needs to figure out when to use a timeout to kind of stimmy those runs that the opponent makes to get back into the game. But it, it's, it's been a complaint against him and a criticism against him since he started coaching at UConn. So we're in his sixth year right now, and it's something that's still um, we're still waiting to see. So it, it – you wonder if that's ever going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of points of criticism for Kevin Alley, um, valid points of criticism for Kevin Alley. Yep, absolutely. And um, yeah, the in-game stuff, the, the timeouts, it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe very occasionally you let it, you let it ride, you let it play out. But we've seen really consistently, over the past few seasons, other teams go on runs and him not want to take that time out. And it's, um, it, it is absolutely yeah. maddening. And, um, but I think, you know, the, for people to call for his head, I, I do think is, is not the right call. Um, and, and I do have a few reasons for that, but, um, 
I do think it goes a bit far to say UConn should hire a new coach, uh, fi- fire Kevin Ollie and, and hire a new coach. And I think there's a few reasons for that. One, you know, I think it's, we live in a very result, you know, very um, impatient world, especially with sports fans these days, but especially in New England, uh, especially in New England, uh, New York and New England. Northeast, um, yeah. And, and people, you know, who are very familiar with pro sports. We talk about this with football all the time, but, um, you know, Kevin Ollie's been a head coach of a basketball team for just five years, which, um, you know, usually somebody coaching at the high major division one level has 10 to 15 years of coaching under their belt, albeit at various levels, but, um, you know, they have that head man experience. So I think, um, you know, do you want to continue to, to ride with this guy who is so clearly a very good recruiter? You know, I think this, this criticism of, oh, well, he's a great recruiter and, and not a great in-game coach, you know, I, I think that's a bit of an oversimplification, but I, you know, let's, let's go with that. Um, a, the talent you have is of the utmost importance, right? So no, don't just shake off, you know, don't just shake off him being a really good recruiter because at the college level, that's critically important. Um, and then the in-game stuff, I agree he needs to tighten, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful he, he finds a way to improve. And, and I think, the main reason I'm optimistic about a future with Kevin Ollie is that I, I see the team that he's built and, and I like what I see. Um, you know, I, I think, I think the, the underclassmen on this team, um, you know, have a, are, are a good foundation. I don't, you know, there's a lot of assumptions about um, Jalen Adams and Terry Larrier leaving for the NBA. Um, I think, you know, I think at this point, it's obviously very early, right? Like eight games into eight games into 2014, would you have ever expected DeAndre Daniels would have left? Of course not. But, um, you know, I think we might be able to keep Larrier next year. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think, I think we might be able to hold on to Larrier next year. Um, But anyway, I, I, I like the team. I like the the group he's put together. I think, um, I think guys like Carlton, Polly, Vital, um, you know, those are those are all really good pieces that that we can work with. And and you know, Sid Wilson and the guys coming in in 2018, who we're going to talk to uh, Corey Evans about. It looks like he's doing he's doing well, and he's really putting a team together now. So it just takes time. Um, and then just to be a little bit more pragmatic about it, firing Kevin Ollie is going to be expensive. We don't have a ton of money lying around. Um, in the grand scheme of it all, if we want to talk about you know conference realignment, basketball doesn't matter. So uh, so we might as well uh, ride it out with Kevin Ollie because I'm the other thing is I'm really really skeptical we can get somebody that's a whole lot better. Um, so those are kind of my, my, my reasons for keeping him. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. 
Um, I think, well, I think number one is that, yeah, he's going to be, if, if we do, if people want to get rid of him, I don't think they're really considering how expensive it actually will be. Um, considering the state that uh, not only Yukon, but Connecticut is in right now uh, with budget concerns and whatnot. Um, so, so number one, it's going to be really expensive. Um, so figure you use all that money to buy Kevin Ali out of his contract. And then right now, UConn is paying their head coach $3 million a year. I don't think that we, I mean, UConn is still a very, the brand is strong. And I think they could attract a very good coach. Uh, but I don't think after buying out a contract at Kevin Ali's size that they would be able to afford to pay another coach $3 million a year. Um, so I kind of agree with what you're saying is that I don't think that they would be able to get another coach who could be better than what Kevin Ali is. And at the same time, if you get rid of Kevin Ali, um, there's a good chance that a lot of players and or recruits will decide to go elsewhere. And so really you, you get rid of Kevin Ali, then you're literally starting from scratch. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough it's a tough equation to, to be quite honest. Um, so I think I agree with you that I like what we're seeing right now. Foundation that he's building. Um, one of my criticisms that I just addressed earlier was that the player turnover, um, if he can get Jalen Adams and Terry Larrier to come back next year um, and have this team together again with the 2018 class coming in and then have Sid Wilson elsewhere next year. I think that could be a really good team. Um, so it, it's, I think it's important to kind of stick with Kevin Ali for now. Uh, let's see what he's able to do um, through this year. And yeah, it's, it's so ridiculous to pe see people who want to fire Kevin Ali, what, eight games into the season, mm -hmm. like fire, fire him right now when there's still a lot of potential with this team. Um, for all we know, this could be an NCAA tournament team. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's ridiculous to even call for his head right now. Uh, Kevin Ollie deserves this season. Um, and I think, I think obviously um, with what we're seeing from Jalen Adams and Terry Larry and, and the team right now, Although it's been frustrating, we're six and two, mm -hmm. so um, it's important to see what happens this season. And and I'm going to go on record saying that I think Kevin Ollie is our coach next year. Oh, there you go! Wow, big big call. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I think you know, I've and I have sung this song a, a million times, but he dealt Kevin Ollie dealt with a mountain of shit when he took over this program. You had the NCAA tournament ban looming over his head and the player turnover that, that that resulted in. You had the downgrade of the conference. And, you know, in the in the four years that were kind of affected by this, he won a championship and sent a team to the NCAA tournament second round. In a, uh, under the most, under the most duress you could probably be under, oh, by the way, his first four years ever as a head coach of a basketball team. Um, so I, I, I feel like he's learned, he has learned from his mistakes, the 2016 recruiting class, um, you know, just, just didn't work out. And, and now he's really in team building mode mm -hmm. and it seems to be going well. And 
Um, you know, I think if if we go like below 500 in the American Athletic Conference this year, if we win only 18 games or something like that, then I think there's there's reason to um, put a little bit more fire under his under his seat. But right now, the team is six and two. Um, there is enough reason to believe it can be competitive in the American. Uh, there's enough, there's enough reason to believe it can make the NCAA tournament. Um, we got to let it play out. Let, let this season play out. I mean, the college basketball is one of the places where the way a team is performing in game five and six can be dramatically different by game 25, 30, 35. So, um, you know, we got to count on, on that being able to happen. And, um, let it ride, but it is it is so premature to to call for Ollie's head. I think um, UConn fans are just a little bit spoiled by success, and and you know not only is Jim Calhoun not walking through that door, but the original Big East is not walking through that door either. So yeah. um, you just gotta understand the situation that we're in, and and hope for the best. Yeah, and every every UConn fan should be rooting. Uh, as much as possible for Kevin Ollie right now. Uh, everyone should want Kevin Ollie to be the guy to turn things around and be the coach of UConn going forward. Uh, because if 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 it turns out that it doesn't work out and that he's not the, the coach for UConn, then it's going to be a couple of seasons of mediocre basketball, even worse than what we probably saw last year. All right, we're going to move on now. And uh, as promised, we have a conversation with Rivals National Analyst Corey Evans. Uh, Corey covers men's basketball recruiting nationwide. He's very plugged into uh, the goings-on of uh, really all of Division I basketball recruiting. So we're really thrilled to have him. And uh, a lot of really good insight on how the Huskies recruiting is going for 2018 and beyond and uh, how the future looks for, for Kevin Ollie and the roster that he's put together. Uh, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. No, I appreciate you guys having me on board here. Awesome. Thanks. Well, so, you know, the, the early signing period uh, just went down. Uh, the UConn Huskies added three players. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts. We can just kind of go through them one by one. But, um, you know, first of all, just what do you think about those three as a group? And, and is there, you know, of those three, who would you say is the kind of, um, you know, biggest catch of that, of that group so far? Yeah, I as a whole, I love the group. I think it brings a lot of toughness, um, versatility, energy, uh, positional. I mean, one through five guys can play different spots on the floor. Um, it, it definitely fills a lot of the boxes that are are left out there for the taking. Um, Akinjo is probably the you know he's the highest rated guy that we have here at Rivals, but. The most important one might be Emmett Matthew because for UConn fans, shot making has not been the best. Uh, has not been the best, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Emmett Matthews kind of fills that void to a degree. I mean, he's a six foot seven, long bodied athlete that can really shoot the basketball. Um, you know, UConn coaches kind of reminisce about how he's kind of comparable to. Clay Thompson to a degree, that's that's high uh, 
that's high water marks there. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, he, he does have those kind of shades to him. I think he's a someone that can really develop fast at UConn. And then what about the big man, uh, Lucas Kasunas? Um, and am I saying that right? Yeah, you did a great job there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, what do we know about him? Lithuanian kid in the backyard, uh, you know, goes to the same prep program that Jalen Adams played for. Also, Sid Wilson. Um, strong, tough, physical, skilled, not a great athlete, but, you know, he brings some of that interior toughness that is hard to find anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to it's tough to find big men and get big men, and and then even hold on to them because it seems like you know a guy a guy has a half decent season and he's seven feet tall and 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 he can just go to the NBA. Um, yeah, no, and, and you know he's not really uh he's more of a throwback interior twelve feet and in guy, so that's gonna help as well. Um, so it's gonna allow for Ko to Kevin Ollie and his staff to kind of use guys like Pauly and Emmett Matthews and guys of that ilk more as a four out one um, and having someone like Kazunis inside. What are, what are your thoughts on James Akinja? You know, he's he's more like a Shabazz Napier type um, who's just the blue collar or the most blue collar kind of guys. Um, you know, I think you're kind of seeing it missing this year with Jalen Adams. Jalen Adams is a very, very talented kid, but um, again, using the Columbia game as an example, um, it just shows how polarizing he still is as a junior. I think Akinjo is going to be a guy that, regardless if he's making shots or not, he's going to contribute in, in some positive manner. Um, he had a great July period where he went from kind of a regionally based prospect to a nationally prioritized high major point guard. And it was his ability to lead his team to a Nike Peach Jam championship. And for the fans at home, Nike Peach Jam is the highest high. I mean, it's it's begun to replace state championships in high school and all that. I mean, you're playing against the best. It's on national television on ESPN. Uh, Kinjo led this team that had literally two mid or higher level prospects on it to a championship there against teams that had seven or eight. So he's definitely uh, has a pedigree, has the toughness, has a holds no bargains type of uh, a chip on his shoulder. Awesome. Well, um, you know, someone else who, who you had mentioned, who I guess for all intents and purposes is part of the 2018 recruiting class. Uh, that's Sid Wilson. Um, you know, obviously initially committed to St. John's, was there for a minute, uh, and ended up transferring to UConn. What do you know about kind of what went down there? Um, you know, why he initially chose St. John's, why he chose to leave, and then, you know, what what do you see that he brings to the table? Yeah, you know, he's from New York City, um, but his father and himself, they kind of wanted to get away from it all as a high schooler. And that's why he left the city of New York and went to Brewster Academy um, and spent two years there, I believe, or maybe a year there, but um, was originally supposed to go out as a 2018 prospect, reclassified and ended up coming back home. Um, And they just didn't feel like it was in his best um, 
it was best for him to stay there, um, whatever that might be. And I think, um, you know, there, there were some uh, family issues there as well. I think his, his mother had passed away a couple of years ago. That was pretty difficult on the kid himself. And, um, you know, I think going back up to New England was probably better for him and his maturity as a, uh, into a young adult. I think he and his father felt. And then, you know, what, what do you see from him as a player, um, you know, comparisons, what he brings to the table? Can he be an early contributor when he does end up stepping onto the court? Yeah, he better, he better contribute immediately. I mean, he's that talented. Um, he's kind of in that Jeremy Lamb kind of type, um, the jumbo of six, 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 seven, six, eight wing type that can do the, can complete a multitude of tasks for you. Um, I mean, I love him. He has to get stronger. Has to get a little more skilled, um, but he has. People thought he was a six 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 seven four man, and he's definitely not. He's more of a six seven three two, who can defend different spots, can make shots. He's a really good athlete, high energy guy. He's someone that you know UConn's watching. You got UConn fans are watching. Uh, you know Columbia, and. and I mean, it's the energy is just not there for some guys, and and he's going to bring the energy. So, can we expect him when he's coming next year to hit some outside shots? Uh, you know, I think he can. I wouldn't say it's consistent. I would say Emmett Matthews is probably the greater source of that. Um, I think that's why I wouldn't be surprised if Ko and those guys try to land another guy this year. Um, via the transfer market or the grad transfer market or the junior college market or the high school realm in the spring that um, are guys that can make shots at a high rate because that's that's definitely the missing ingredient this year um, on this t- on this year's team. Yeah, they definitely are are taking too many three pointers or at least not hitting enough three pointers for sure and. Um, I'm starting to suspect other teams are wise to this and are basically giving them the three uh-huh. to take because they're um, not hitting them very much. So, <laughs> uh, that sounds good. And, yeah, hopefully we can get a, uh, another guy or two. So, and Corey, uh, real quick, I just want to go back yeah. to Emmett Matthews. Um, I know that uh, on Twitter you said recently how UConn fans should keep an eye on him as – uh, one of the players that could kind of rise in the rankings. Do you have an idea of his potential in terms of how high he could possibly raise in the rankings? And is he possibly a top 100 uh, recruit? We're going to watch him more. Um, he's the kind of guy that's such a – he's a low floor but a super, super high ceiling um, to an extent where he, there's a lot of questions about um, from a national perspective just, you know, how consistent he is. Um, you know, he had an up and down summer. He, he changed travel programs a couple of times um, to no fault of his own. So, you know, from a ceiling perspective, he definitely has a top 100 potential. I mean, he has the potential to be as good as he wants to be. He could be the next great 6'7 swingman from UConn. But he also has potential to, I don't want to call him a bust, but potential to not um, develop like we, we would assume. Thanks. And yeah, for those of you um, at home, Matthews is currently ranked number 147 in the country as a three-star, and Akinyo is a, a four-star ranked number 114. So just a little bit of, of context there. Um, 
Yeah, so what, what are your sense of uh, other 2018 guys who might be in the mix for the Huskies? Yeah, you know, as of right now, um, you know, Bryce Wills and um, Jerome Brooks are the only two guys that have offers out, um, as I said earlier. And, and you know, Duran is, uh, you know, a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, kind of like a Rick Fox type. I mean, he... Uh, phenomenal throwback for man rebounds the ball 17 feet and then he's he's phenomenal um one time usc commit um decommitted after the uh the whole fbi investigation into the program um he's from he's he's from los angeles but he, he grew up in washington say washington so that's the rafael chilius factor raft is kind of throughout a raft to him um so I think there's feeling him out. I'd be surprised if if, if Duran leaves um, the West Coast. I think California's in there pretty good, and I think Washington's in there pretty good. Um, and then Bryce Wills, who's a six foot four combo guard, uh, recent reclass, recently reclassified back into 2018, uh, has he he could potentially visit Villanova next weekend, December 10th. That's not solidified yet. Um, has also visited Stanford so far. Um, I think Villanova is a program to beat there. He uh, was last on campus at UConn, I believe, maybe the beginning of September for an unofficial visit. So things are kind of still in the infancy stages there. Um, but those are the two guys for the most part as of right now. So as it stands right now, UConn's won over the scholarship limit for next year. Uh, yep. I guess let's assume for the moment that uh, there won't be any transfers and the way we'll clear that out is that, you know, Terry and Jalen decide to leave. Um, with those four guys coming in, Sid, uh, James, Akinjo, and Emmett Matthews and Lucas Casunas, who do you see as kind of instant impact recruits that are going to be kind of be able to help us immediately next year? James. I mean, I, I bet my life on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think just – just from a the knowing UConn system um, and what Ko does and his reliance on guards and a guard heavy lineup, um, I think James is a guy that's going to play twenty to twenty five minutes a game as a freshman. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, what would what would you think about that pairing of him with with Alteri Gilbert in, in, in a backcourt there and and Christian Vital as well? Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, you know, I love to see Vital play more like he played against Columbia compared to some other games. Um, you know, when he goes for 29 points, but you know, if, if he can be a consistent shot maker and willing to defend different spots, you have Altery Gilbert and James Akinjo are two of the most competitive guards or will be guards in America next year. And I think competitiveness trumps a lot of the other things that, you know, are out there for the taking, whether it's ball skills, talent, whatever it is. Those guys have talent, but they, they definitely have the toughness too. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for the perspective on um, class of 2018, other possibilities. Um, I want to kind of take a step back here. It's been an interesting year for UConn fans. Uh, let's call it 18 months for UConn fans, keeping track of things on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, the – there was a lot of excitement around this 2016 class. Uh, it was a top 10 rated class, um, filled a lot of different holes on the team, but 
this offseason, a decent amount of those guys, you know, I think three or four of those guys left. Steve Enoch left. So <clears throat> I guess my, my first question is, um, have you seen other teams have to kind of cobble their roster together like this? And given the circumstances, how do you feel Kevin Ollie did bring in guys like Isaiah Whaley, um, Eric Cobb, you know, to, to, to fill out that roster? That's the world we live in, honestly. Um, the, the college basketball world, that is, because transfers are – that's just what, the, what it's all about. Um, and I think the, the, the mentality of Kevin Ollie and pretty much every head coach out there is if you want to be here, um, then go somewhere else. And, you know, some people don't want to hear that, but that's how it was um, with guys like Enoch and Durham. They, it just wasn't a match. I mean, it's it, it might be a match for Steven in Louisville and might be a match for Jawan in Notre Dame. Um, but at UConn, it just wasn't working out. And it, it was impressive them, you know, KO and those guys getting – um, guys like Whaley late in the year, um, and filling the the interior with Cobb. Um, it, it's never as easy as it sounds um, to find guys late in the year. Pickings are slim to find two guys that are going to contribute in four or five months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you know, something that's been coming up now, especially kind of with UConn's generously we can call it an up and down start to the season um you know i think others might want to call it shaky others might call it uh, really really bad um but kind of from from what we've been discussing it sound it does sound like you know if if ollie is able to kind of keep things stable that he does have a pretty good roster in place if not this year um you know kind of next year and going forward in the years after so do you, do you feel like Ollie has put together a, a, a solid roster? I mean, obviously you have the circumstances, but do you do you feel the future is bright given who he has in place right now? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think it's going to take some patience. I know UConn fans aren't really um, – they're accustomed to national championships. Uh, you know, I think UConn's won the most national championships this, this decade or um, this century. Um, but, you know, I, I do like – who they have coming in. I do like the youth of a guy like Altery Gilbert. Um, and I think Tyler Pauly and I think Josh Carlton is going to be someone that really takes a giant jump from his freshman to sophomore year. Um, so the guys are in place, that's for sure. And, and, you know, KO and those guys are definitely getting back to toughness. I think it's a, uh, a war that's kind of reverberated throughout um, the facilities there in stores, it, it's toughness, toughness, toughness. And not that Stephen Enoch and Jawan Durham and those guys weren't tough. Um, but the guys coming in, Lucas Kazunis and um, James Akinjo and, you know, Eric Cobb and um, Tyler Pauly and Josh Carlton, the past 2017-2018 class is defined by toughness. And you know, I think it's it's definitely – a keystone that they're going to start building upon a little further. And I think that will kind of create a better culture, um, a more unselfish culture that will, in the end, enable more wins. 
Well, that's that's certainly good to hear. Uh, Tom, do you have something? No, I was just gonna say that's more wins is probably gonna be music to <laughs> the ears of UConn fans right now. So. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, like the American Athletic is a is a tough conference too. So like it's it's definitely getting tougher and tougher. I think it's one of the most underrated conferences in America. You had Wichita State, you had an upstart program in UCF. Temple's a lot better, and you know I I don't want to say that Connecticut should be losing to schools like Columbia and you know you have Monmouth and all these other schools, but they aren't the easiest mid major programs in America. Um, I mean they're. They're playing some pretty tough programs that, you know, in four months you're going to be seeing in March. Uh, the, those schools have the potential to be in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, um, you know, make an excuse here, but these guys, these teams that are playing, it's it's not easy to win against anyone at the Division One level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you know the the. The, the people calling for Ollie's job, that's that's like going a little too far um, given the circumstances. But I think there's some other in-game stuff that maybe his his more reasonable critics, um, Ollie's in-game stuff that, that maybe more reasonable critics have issue with. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of putting a team, I think he's he's doing it. He's just had kind of some, some challenges. Do, what is this? I mean, you know, you're obviously um, talking to a lot of different people. What's the reputation that Kevin Ollie has on the recruiting trail, and um, you know how does how does he strike recruits? Um, you know, maybe different than other coaches. Yeah, you know, he's a very very down to earth person. He's a very um, outgoing, humble person, and um, that that's the one thing that really I think uh, connects him well with whoever it might be myself, um, the media. Um, fellow coaches, fellow travel coaches, high school coaches, parents, players. They really respect guys that are down to earth. And I think um I think Kevin Ollie is is one of the more reputable names out there. I mean the work that he's done um in the NBA ranks with how, you know, two, three years ago he was he was in in the uh he was in the mix for Oklahoma City job. Um and, you know, having guys like Kevin Durant and LeBron James and um guys of that nature calling Kevin Ollie a mentor, that's definitely something that Ollie and his staff have used um beneficially on, on the recruiting front, as they should. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any credence to the idea that that he's kind of running a, a NBA pro style kind of motion offense and that it it might not be the best fit um either kind of in college at all or with the talent that he has assembled? Yeah, you know, I think he's learning the job, man, honestly. I mean, let's face it, this guy's been a head coach of a basketball program or, or, or has been a head coach ever for four years now. Um, that's difficult. I mean, think about things that you guys, we pick up um, every day. I mean, we get better and better as it, uh, at it as we go along. And um, the fact that he won the national championship, it, it raised expectations that first year to a supreme high, right? Um, you, you, you kind of see that in Nebraska, um, where Tim Miles goes to Nebraska and people don't expect, expect Nebraska to do anything. And, you know, his first and second year there, they go to the NCAA tournament and everyone expects NCAA tournaments. And then at UConn, it's, it's another level or two up. It's, 
we want Final Fours, we want national championships, and it's a different game anymore. It's a, it's it's totally different now. And I think Kevin Ollie is is definitely maturing. He's nurturing. He's developing. He's starting to understand the um, the DNA, the traits of prospects that he wants, and hence why I say that toughness is um, a reoccurring theme the past year and a half um, for Ollie. I think it's one thing that he might have gotten away from the first two years as a head coach. Um, I think he wanted to start a win. Start, so he, he wanted to try to win the press conference, right? Wanted to, wanted to get the highest rated guy. But now it's about getting the right fit, um, getting guys that kind of fit the ethos of old school Connecticut basketball. And I think that's why um, that's why you're seeing guys like Akinjo and um, Josh Carlton and Power Pauly head to UConn. So uh, I guess kind of to move forward, I don't know if uh, we want to go forward to the 2019 class, but yeah. uh, kind of along that theme of the, the tough players, who do you see in the class of 2019 that UConn could target that uh, fits that ideal player they're looking for? Yeah, they're, they're definitely looking at, um, you know, the East Coast is pretty good in 19. Um, you have uh, Ty's Battle's brother, um, first name slipping, slipping me right now, um, but he's a top 100 prospect here at Rivals, and he, he might not be the tough, tough, tough guy, but he's uh, probably one of the top five shooters in America, so that might, um, you know, appeal to UConn fans. Um, and, and guys like Greg Gant, Greg Gant was a guy that um, Connecticut just offered um, two weeks ago, and it's a six foot eight power forward out of North Carolina that um, is the definition of a tough power forward that you know would be a tremendous pickup for for UConn. Um, you know they're involved with guys like Isaiah Stewart, a top fifty prospect out of uh, Rochester who goes to Lullamere School in Indiana. Um, also right down the street. Uh, Jaden Delaire is a six foot eight um, wing forward type that um, KO and those guys are pretty on um, are on pretty hard and even a guy like Casey Morcel out of the DC area that's uh you know Coach Chilius Raphael Chilius is working there having the connection to the DMV um, a very very tough minded kid as well um, so those are definitely guys to watch in nineteen. Mm -hmm. Now, are there any guys in 2019 that you would say are kind of leaning towards UConn at the moment? Uh, you know, I wouldn't say anyone in particular. I'd say the one guy to watch is Jaden Delaire. Um, you know, Delaire is uh, is a six foot eight wing forward, like I said, who's I think a top fifty, top sixty prospect here at Rivals, and we have him a little higher compared to everywhere else. But his uh, his tangibles are through the roof. I mean, his I think his uncle played in the NFL. His uh, Another uncle might be about seven foot tall. I mean, he's a six foot eight kid with a seven foot one wingspan, high level academics, grew up a UConn fan. Um, so th that's the, the one thing also is, you know, Kevin Ollie and those guys, they want UConn kids. They want guys that, you know, have pride about putting the UConn jersey on. And having a guy like Jaden Delaire in your backyard, that, that has to be, um, it's a home run, but it's also a must get. And UConn's done a really good job of recruiting him so far. Um, I would say UConn and Stanford are the top two as of now for Delaire. Um, has been to campus a few times, grow, has grown up 
within a 30 minute drive of stores his entire life. So that's the one guy that I would definitely keep tabs on moving forward. So it would be a massive disappointment for you fans if you did not. End I, up I, I don't want to say massive. I don't want to say massive, but it, uh, I think if, if, if Connecticut puts the, uh, the foot on the pedal um, and does what they have to do, it, I, I would be very, very surprised if he does not end up in the UConn jersey. Now, the one, the one wrench that could be thrown into the mix is he's a high-level academic student. Um, so I don't see him going anywhere else other than UConn or a high-level academic institution. Like a, not that UConn is not, but I mean to like an Ivy League school um, or, or Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah, hard, hard to, hard to um, uh, burn a guy too hard for for accepting a, a Stanford offer for sure. Yeah, but he he's definitely a very very talented kid. He's a uh, high level. I mean, going back to the Jeremy Lamb kind of guys that UConn fans they should know they were the best at when they had guys like that in that mold there. So um, he's definitely one that. Like I said, UConn fans should be um, all over. Cool. Well, uh, you know, along those lines, I think you you, know, you mentioned him a couple times. Um, Kevin Olley just this past offseason added Rafael Chilius to his uh, to his staff. Um, got rid of Glenn Miller. Um, so you know, what, would love to hear your thoughts on on that move, the switch, um, and and what does Chilius bring to the table? Um, you know, I'll speak more on. Coach Chilius, Raphael over over Glenn. I think Glenn did a great job at UConn. Um, but Chill is kind of one of the more renowned recruiters on the uh, on the trail. Um, if UConn fans don't know him by now, he's really the guy that was responsible for getting Markel Fultz to Washington. Um, has great DMB connections. Um, has coached coast to coast, coached at Villanova, um, was a prep school coach in New England area, so has the DMV connections, has the connections in the prep ranks in New England, has the West Coast connections. So um, he, he it, it was a slam dunk hire. Um, and UConn was not alone in trying to get him on staff. I'll say that. So. You're going to see a guy that's not afraid to go head to toe with so-called basketball Goliaths, right? Like Mm -hmm. who would have gave anyone, uh, who would have gave Washington a chance for going and getting Markel Fultz? You had Louisville, you had the Blue Bloods in there, um, you had Maryland, and it was Washington. And that's the same mentality that – Chill is going to bring to UConn with prospects. Doesn't matter where you for, where you're at, he's going to work his tail off to go get you. And he might strike out, but he's going to get someone at the end of the day. And that's why he offered Jaram Brooks. He's responsible for Emmett Matthews, and he's going to be responsible for a lot more guys. Well, well, yeah, I think that's um, that's definitely encouraging and and very good lead in, I guess, to my my last question. Uh, Tom, if you have any more, but um, uh, UConn has been involved with a lot of kind of top 10, top 15 guys over the past couple of years. Um, 
and and you know kind of made that final five maybe even a final three in some instances Hamadou Diallo final two um Cam Reddish Mobamba come to mind sounds like you're saying you know UConn needs to keep keep trying at that because they might land one eventually and and you know when you get that type of player it's obviously a big difference maker yeah um it's the recruiting world is such a difficult there's so many dimensions and layers to it all so on one end you know i understand the fans at home why are we getting these kind of guys why aren't we getting common diallo and why are we getting you know these five-star guys every year um but there's so many layers to it all um you know with this one and done thing going on um and just also i know the facilities are up to par but it's hard to decline what calipari has offering right now right mm-hmm. um yeah. what coach k is going it's it's just not connected it's look at syracuse i mean syracuse is the same way that they're not getting these top flight guys i mean they got jalen carey but um he was number 49 in rivals he's a fringe top 50 guy and mm-hmm. That's one of their biggest recruits in the past few years. So it's not just Connecticut doing that. It's 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 also a lot of these, you know, you have St. John's, you have Syracuse, you have look at Georgetown. Um so it's all about getting in with these kids early on in the process. It, it's about um recruiting um to your needs. Um and it's also about not wasting your time because time is so valuable in life but also in basketball i mean as a coach in basketball you have so many um different avenues you have to you know successfully complete and go down that if there's no chance in getting them like they came rash in the final five but uconn knew they didn't have much of a chance and they said nope we're not going to host you there's no visit here mm-hmm. why why bring you in for notoriety's sake when we're not going to get you probably and that's just the facts of it um so i think they have begun to really the the one the one important thing that is underrated in recruiting is getting ahead um and the fact that connecticut was able to get three or four guys signed and committed including sydney wilson by mid-october that allowed the staff at UConn to invest more time and energy in the younger classes, 1920, which are five-star, higher-level, four-star guys, which mm-hmm. in a year or two could pan out. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the criticism from UConn fans might not be as much, um, you know, why aren't we getting these guys? But kind of like you said, why, why are we even spending a lot of time on these kinds of guys? And maybe instead of going after so many of these types go one notch lower and maybe we get a, a slightly better result. But. Yeah. And I think you're going to see, I think UConn is already, they've already done a good job of um, focusing on a certain group in 19s um, like the battle kid, like the lair, um, like Greg Gant. I think they're not going to spread themselves too thin in 19, but rather focus on a select group um, three or four each spot on the floor and, maybe prioritize those guys a little more instead of, like I said, spraying themselves too thin and 
not being able to invest the time that they probably should you know, on a prospect. Corey, real quick, uh, one more question about a 2019 guy. Um, Charles Coleman, uh, he's a big seven-footer, has been on campus like four or five times. Do you know anything about him? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would definitely say he's right up there on UConn's board. I think he's a, I mean, he's a big dude, six foot eleven, six ten, about two seventy five. Um, there, there's a chance that he could reclassify in the twenty twenty. Okay. Um, but UConn is pretty high on him. He's a six foot ten big kid that can shoot the ball at a high rate for twenty feet. So, I could definitely see them maybe going after him in nineteen and using a redshirt year on him to kind of develop him physically, have him lose some of the body weight and the baby fat and excess body and just get him in better shape and get him in the system. Um, so he's definitely one. He's from Dexter, Massachusetts, by the Boston area, um, and kind of is unheralded nationally, but he's a guy that UConn has had on campus a few times and they're pretty familiar with. Is it Demon Kerrigan? I know he yep. was class of 2018, but now he's a he's at a he's at Bunker Hill in Mass, so that's a junior college. Do you have any idea if he's still going to be a 2018 recruit, or is he going to be 2019, or what's going on there? I believe, yeah, I believe he's 19 now. Um, so he's definitely one to track. Uh, I think he needs to get his grades in line and all that. Um, definitely not off the board entirely. You know, I know that UConn was probably going to be the destination for him, um, but yeah, he's definitely on their on their board still. Okay. That's good to know because I saw that he had like first two games. Juco was like thirty points and twenty rebounds and nine blocks or something like that. So. <laughs> yeah, he definitely has that uh, Hassan Whiteside to him, to where if when he's engaged and playing hard, he's he's a dog. Great. Yeah. Well, I hope he ends up at UConn. He seems like a good player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Corey, thank you so much for uh, for the insight. Really appreciated the chance to speak with you. Um, why don't you let uh, our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and uh, and maybe who you're checking out next on the trail? Yeah, I'm, uh, you can find me at Corey Evans, C O R E Y Evans underscore ten one zero, and uh, I will be in D.C. next weekend, December eighth, ninth, and tenth at the uh, Gonzaga College High School event in uh, National Hoop Festival. It's one of the best events of the year. Awesome. Well, uh, have a great time at that, and uh, we'll catch you sometime later. Thanks for having me, guys.